Hello and welcome to Women Decode STEM and I am your host Neha Savanu. In this podcast I talk to women in science, engineering, technology and mathematics fields. We will be discussing career paths, gender equality and mentorship. Data engineering is something that I'm extremely passionate about. Before starting the podcast, I worked as a data engineering consultant and I still get excited to discuss it. When I was thinking about doing an episode on it, the first person who came to mind was a former colleague of mine, Yasneen Ashraf. She's an extremely knowledgeable person in this field and she has extensive experience as well. Currently, she works as a solution principal for the data engineering team at Slalom Build in Toronto. If you're looking to find a job in data engineering field or you're just curious to learn what data engineers do, then keep on listening. Hey Asneen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Awesome. Um so I want to get started by asking you what are the essential skill sets uh, required for someone to be a data engineer? Well, yeah, that's an interesting question. So I think there's kind of like the personality skill sets that are sort of highly desirable in this line of work. And then there's the technical skill sets. So the ideal data engineer probably has a bit of both, although I'd probably argue that, you know, with a bit of one or the other, you can sort of make a career in in this area. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess, first of all, first and foremost, you need to know SQL. That's sort of like the lingua franca of of data engineering. If you don't know SQL, it's going to be very difficult to uh, work with data. So that's sort of the baseline, um, at least entry level SQL. And the more uh, the more expertise you have in SQL, I think the better off you are. Um, and then I think beyond that, programming skills in either Java or Python or some other uh, programming language, those are the two that I think are, are mostly used right now in this area. And then also just um, like software engineering skills, I guess, so that you could apply um, you can apply your skills to other technologies, to new different problems, you know, software development lifecycle, because it still is data engineering, right? So we're not programmers, we are still engineers. And so having that sort of uh, software engineering mindset definitely helps. Um, those are, I think, technically, those are pretty important. Um, then there's also just, you know, tools and tools come and go. But I would think that knowledge of data pipeline tools on cloud providers like, uh, you know, like AWS, Azure, or GCP, that's really what I think data engineers do nowadays as compared to the ETL developers of, of the past. You know, those of us who used to develop uh, stored procedures and so on to do ETL um, in the modern world, the big difference I think is that data engineers are cloud-based. So you have to have familiarity with cloud-based tools in addition to some of those older technologies. Um, so yeah, I think those are sort of like the technical skills that are, um, that are, that are really, that are really important in this area. But then, um, I think also just being a personality that's, you know, that's curious and likes to learn new things because it's an area that a lot of new technologies are constantly coming up. So you have to, you know, be willing to learn new technologies, um, spend time debugging, you know, the debugging skills are pretty critical because yeah. very often we do work with latest and greatest technologies. Not all of them are like, um, you know, uh, they don't have a fully, um, fleshed out user community and things like that. So being able to debug and solve problems on your own is, uh, is pretty critical as well. Um, but yeah, and then beyond that, if you have other deeper skills like data warehousing, data modeling, um, you know, knowledge of big data, that all helps. 
but that's sort of that's sort of the secondary thing i think that's 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 sort of my my personal opinion anyways yeah i completely agree with that like i can recall when i started as a data engineer and uh, four years down the line um, the role has definitely changed initially it was all etl based work um and then now i can see that it's mostly on cloud like you mentioned and um, the services uh, and tool sets that we use constantly change so yeah i completely agree with um having that personality as well yeah so i mean in that regard um you know we're we're working in an industry where there's constantly just new services being added to aws to azure to gcp that make it much easier to wrangle big data and so some of them i mean they're they're wonderful tools but they're just not always um, it, it's not like you can go on Stack Overflow and ask a question and have a whole bunch of people um, come up with a bunch of suggestions how you could solve your problem. These are very new technologies, so you have to, you know, be okay with. You may spend three days banging your head against the wall trying to try to debug something or figure out why it's not working. It's maybe it's your code or maybe it's a you know quote unquote um, feature of the, of the tool that you're using. So there's that aspect of it that you know <laughs> you just have to be willing to, you know, to be interested and willing to debug things. Yes, completely. Um, and sometimes the tools are really new and they don't cover all of the requirements that we have. Um, and I think uh, the tools are also kind of growing with the requirements that we have. So yeah, most definitely there's, there are no answers to all of our questions and we have to figure a lot of things out, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because the requirements are changing as new types of data come up or, um, you know, gaps in existing tools are discovered, the new tools crop up that need to be learned. And yeah, it's exactly what it is. Exactly right. I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, that gets me to my next question. So one of the most common questions that I get asked is, what is the difference between data engineering and data science? For someone like you and me who've been in this field, I think it's quite obvious. But um, for the rest of the world, I, I think it's not very clear It's uh, what the difference is. Can you give us an insight? Sure. Um, so I think from my perspective, the engineer is the, the data engineer is the person that is getting the data into a format that it can be analyzed and used for data science purposes. So you're typically doing ETL, extract, transform, and load. So you could be extracting from one source, but typically you're extracting from many different sources. Some of them could be streaming sources that are coming in real time. Some of them could be batch sources coming from, um, for example, an on-premise um, database that stores transactional data. Um, or customer data. Um, and then the next thing you need to do is once you extract it from those systems is you need to transform it. You need to clean it, you need to standardize it, um, put it into a form that you can compare and join data from these disparate sources. So you need a place to do that. Um, in the old world, that used to be done perhaps on a server sitting on premise. Nowadays, it's done in the cloud with a whole bunch of different tools to facilitate that. But once you've done that cleansing process, then you can do the last piece, which is to load it, putting into a a place, a format and a location that's then um, sort of amenable to um, a data scientist being able to consume it. Um, so until it's sort of been joined, cleaned, and formatted in such a way that um, it's, it's able to be consumed, there's not a lot of analysis that a data scientist can do, at least not a lot of valuable analysis. So it's really, I think, a precursor to any, um, any like really meaningful data science work. Does that kind of answer the question? Yes, completely. Um, so I just wanted to bring that out because um, data scientist has become like a buzzword today. 
And I feel like the role of data, data engineers has taken a backseat because of that. So I just wanted to bring that out to the world and say that there's a lot of things that data engineers do uh, before the data gets into the hands of data scientists. So um, we need more people entering data engineering as well as data science or data scientists becomes uh, important. Yeah, it's true. And you know what's interesting? There's a lot of, uh, I think there's a lot of sort of glamour associated with data science. It's a pretty interesting field, but there's some really interesting problems that we solve as data engineers. And I feel like that's not really recognized. You know, like we do some pretty cool work. There's these massive volumes of data, you know, in many cases we work on projects, at least myself, I've worked on projects where you have billions of rows um, of data coming in on a daily basis. And being able to standardize, you know, uh, process and do, do all these things that we need to do in a secure manner, it's not easy. There's some really interesting challenges that come out of that. And um, it's a pretty, like, up-and-coming area. So um, being expert in even a small part of it can, can really increase your, like, your market value, you know, because not many people know these things just yet. So I, I, don't, I think it's just it's underappreciated how many interesting problems there are to solve and how much of a future there is in this space right now. Most definitely, yes. And even uh, you need to have certain domain experience, like if you're working in healthcare, then it has its own set of security um, aspects that you need to take care uh, in terms of data, like it has to be HIPAA compliant and secure and the cloud. So you, you need to like work around all of these things, which, yeah, only when you actually work on projects, um, you understand the importance. Yeah, absolutely. And once you work on a couple of different projects in a, in a specific domain, then you now have some domain expertise in that area. And that's really, really very powerful. If, you know, if, for example, if you have a healthcare background and you go and pick up data science, I'm sorry, uh, engineering, um, the combination of that, like that domain knowledge with the knowledge of how to wrangle that data, it's very, very powerful because it's, it's actually a lot easier, I think, to learn the engineering piece than it is to learn the domain specific piece. And then those are just very, very valuable skills because a data engineer who doesn't know domain knowledge, um, you know, it's, it's not that easy to learn and it's just not as transferable as a skill within that, within that area. Yep, completely agree with that. It comes by experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you briefly mentioned the data pl- pipeline. Um, can you give us an example to tell us how the data moves within the pipeline? Like what are the activities that a data engineer typically performs? Yeah, sure. So um, I think I break it down into those three phases of extraction, transform, and then loading. So um, the data has to be brought in from somewhere into a central place where we're then going to, like I said, wrangle it, right? Munge it, cleanse it. So the extraction piece, um, that's, that's the first piece, getting it out of, its, out of its source. And in some cases, if you're using a streaming pipeline, for example, we could just walk through um, you know, a streaming example where Um, let's say we have social media data or we have um, uh, data coming from IOT devices. Um, We want to stream that all into one place or log files for another example. We need to get that data all into one place. So you might use something like um, like Kafka or uh, Kinesis. uh, AWS has Kinesis, which is another popular tool um, to get the data um, into one place, you know, in the cloud. And once it's there, you then have to do the transformations that I mentioned. So we want to standardize it, we want to cleanse it, maybe we need to enrich it with some additional information from third-party sources. Um, And then once that's been done, we can now put it into a format that it can be consumed. Because right now it's still most likely in its native format. Um, For example, maybe it came in in JSON, you did some transformations, but it's still in its native format. Um, 
So you may want, maybe we want to put it into a data warehouse, for example, into facts and dimensions or into a table structure that's more um, amenable to the downstream consumers. Or perhaps we want to put it into, um, into flat files in Parquet, uh, which can then be uh, consumed by, for example, a data science team that would be reading in those files to do their own analysis, maybe in, in Jupyter Notebooks. Or perhaps we're going to be feeding this data into Elasticsearch to be, to be fed into um, like a web API that's going to serve it to, um, you know, to a web page or to an application or a REST API even. So kind of, I think, you know, these pipelines are typically designed by keeping those end users in mind and what they're going to do with this data. It's going to then determine that sort of final format or final resting place for um, the, the last step of your data pipeline. So the tools and technologies that you might use at those different steps in the pipeline, it'll, it'll definitely vary depending on things like how much data you have, where it's coming from, and uh, who's going to be consuming it and how. But I mean, in the example that I just gave with streaming data coming in, a um, couple of tools you might use to, in, to, to ingest it could be, like I said, uh, Kinesis or Kafka. Uh, Amazon has uh, MSK nowadays, which is getting really popular. Um, once you've gotten the data in, you might do the transformations and the munging using something like uh, Spark, you know, for EMR, for example, um, on AWS. Um, or if your data volumes are lower, maybe you wouldn't need to do something like that. You could do something like uh, AWS Data Pipeline. Um, but whatever the tool is that you've chosen, you then will then put it into the final format, which could be a database. It could be um, a data warehouse like Redshift or like Snowflake, or it could be flat files. Um, it, again, that, that last piece of the pipeline is typically dependent on who's consuming it afterwards. Um, but there's just there's so many options at each step of those uh, um, at each step of the pipeline um, as to which is the best tool. And there's always some analysis to do to figure out um, you know which is the best for your particular data and your particular downstream use cases. Yeah, um, it's kind of difficult to answer that question, but yeah, you you did a good job of explaining like uh, the streaming data part of it. Like you mentioned, there are so many tools and every use case, you use different tools. So yeah, that gives a good idea. Okay, I mean, I can talk through a batch use case if that would be easier to follow. Sure, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, I can, I mean, I can think of a lot of different use cases that I've worked on personally, where um, uh, a lot of companies today are trying to improve their, their reporting capabilities. Maybe they have crystal reports or they have uh, you know business objects reports from, from 10 years ago and they're not really meeting the, the needs that the, the companies currently have, you know? So what we do a lot of is taking data from on-premise systems, bringing it into the cloud um, and joining it. So we may be pulling in data from, um, you know, like a, an operational system that stores customer transactions and then joining it with, uh, with social media data, joining it with third-party data, um, talking about, you know, things such as the weather or such as um, uh, geographical um, features like latitude, longitude, or socioeconomic um, uh, information. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can, you can sort of start joining all these different pieces of information and start to make some really interesting correlations between your data, um, such as maybe there's more sales um, you know, in this neighborhood or this particular type of product um, on, these, on, on days when conditions are like this. Um, so because we now have the ability to you know, take all these different disparate sources of data, a lot of them are publicly available, uh, we can do these batch processes where we bring them into a centralized spot in the cloud. Um, we cleanse them, we standardize them, we enrich them, and then we po- populate them into a data warehouse, um, such as Snowflake. And then we can do some, not just um, 
not just analysis on it, you can do analytics, but then you can begin doing predictive analytics and prescriptive analytics. So that's sort of, you know, those are some of the more interesting use cases that we've been able to, um, to facilitate for our clients just because they did not have a way to get all that data together in one place before and now they do. So um, I would say that that's something that's um, a, pretty, a pretty useful uh, new, new thing that we've been working on recently in this area. That's awesome. Yeah, that gives a lot of uh, useful insights to the customers. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now I want to talk a little bit about the work that you do. Um, as a, a solution principal, like what are your responsibilities? Do you do coding or is it limited to like designing architecture? How does your uh, work day look like? Yeah, it's interesting. So um, when you become a data engineer, I mean, at least up until the point where you're um, a solution architect, you're typically pretty hands-on doing a lot of development, creating data pipelines, you know, troubleshooting them. Um, and then, so I don't, but, so that's really a very coding-based skill set, right? What's interesting is that once you get into being a solution principal, um, you're no longer as hands-on and it's, it's just a very different skill set. So instead of being the one to do the development, it's a lot more of um, overseeing and communicating. So um, making sure that clients understand the, the challenges and um, that they understand sort of what the team's working on and that also the team needs to have a very good understanding of what the client's needs are. Because it's so easy when you're a data engineer to just want to work on the latest, coolest technology, but sometimes that's not the right thing to solve the problem, right? And so... Yeah. Uh, I think as a as a solution principle, the idea is to keep that in mind, understand the goals of the client, and make sure that everybody is, um, is sort of working towards that, as opposed to just getting distracted by working on the the more interesting parts of the project. And then you're also just, uh, looking at the overall pipeline and making sure that the pieces fit together. Right, that's what an architect is is supposed to do. Um, yeah, that's really I think a big part of it. And then also, so you're leading um, data and analytics projects um, as an SP as opposed to being an essay. So there's a big emphasis on things like culture, um, supporting the team, making sure that they have what they need to get problem solved, um, removing blockers, and making sure that they are able to um, hit their timelines. We typically work in an agile fashion, so making sure that uh, agile processes are being, uh, are being executed according to the right schedule and that the team's able to meet their, um, their sprint goals. Um, and just making sure that things are being done in a timely fashion. I think that's, that's one of the bigger things. Um, the company that I work at is Slalom, and they're really, really big on, um, on culture. So there's a, a, huge, a huge focus on um, making sure that the company's culture is being maintained you know, as we grow and you know, as, as there's ups and downs in the market, things like you know, COVID happening. Um, this, is a, this is a leadership role where you're looking to, uh, to make sure that everybody in the company is, um, is supported, is, is getting what they need to do their jobs, to be happy, to be productive, and just make sure that the culture is being maintained, right? We're maintaining a high caliber of people coming in and um, of work going out, I guess. Yep. Yeah, I totally agree. Once you are a leader, um, I think you need to really look at the culture and maintain that for the rest of the team. I completely agree with that. Yeah, it's a big part of what we do at Slalom, I think. And that's one of the big jump, one of the big changes in jumping into, into that role as an SP. But I mean, it's also, it's also cool because at this company, we can also, you can make it what you want to. So if you do want to stay more hands-on and more technical, you do have that option. And I think a lot of people do choose to do that. 
So it's kind of a nice thing that you can do both, I think. Yep. Yeah. Some people don't want to give up that coding skill set or like they enjoy doing that. So yeah, having that flexibility is definitely good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think so. Awesome. Um, so personally, what do you like about being in the data engineering space? Um, it's a good question. I mean, I've been doing this for such a long time that sometimes <laughs> I don't think about it anymore. Um, well, I think, so I think nowadays, like data engineering today is really synonymous with cloud data engineering as opposed to ETL development. So, like I said before, it's an area that has a lot of new technologies. And I think I like that part of it, personally. It's mm -hmm. the fact that um, there's just so many new options of things to learn and do. It's not like um, the old world, like those of us who used to be ETL developers, even like 10, 15 years ago, there wasn't much new um, there wasn't much new things coming up. There wasn't much to learn, you know, like the new version of Oracle would come out and then you learned a couple of new features that were available to you there. And then that was really it in terms of learning. But that's one thing I like about this is that there's just so many new technologies coming out all the time and so many new tools. And I mean, it kind of, it, it keeps things interesting. It keeps you on your toes. So I think for me personally, that's what I really like about it. And it's cloud-based. So you don't need to worry about some of the fiddlier things that we used to have to do back in the day, you know, like mounting, um, <laughs> mounting, um, file systems and administering pieces of hardware, you know, that, that sort of work is just, it, it was never my interest. Oh, yeah. And um, it was kind of painful, to be honest. Now we can just focus on the more interesting pieces, which is loading the data. And um, the fact that now there's just so much more data, such a diversity of types of data and, uh, and problems to solve with the data. I, I find that to be really interesting, personally. For my next question, I wanted to ask you, what are some of the challenges you faced in this role? Okay, well, I think challenges are, um, with regards to being a data engineer, the challenge, I think the biggest challenge is probably just um, the, the fact that there's just so many things changing, right? Like, and any problem that you face at a client, it's just, you're, you're, there's not too many people who have really faced it before. Like, there's been so many times when I have to solve a problem that nobody's really had to solve before just because these are new technologies or new areas and so it's really fun and interesting but it can be a definite challenge so it can be something that takes up a lot of your space in your brain it can take up evenings and weekends and you know it's, it's a matter of like how much of yourself you really want to pour into it um so that's that's one challenge but then i think you know another thing is of course like as a, as a woman in this area there's always um a bit of a i guess like a gender bias that you need to you need to keep in mind there are stereotypes and perceptions that we need to overcome and i think everybody um who's going into you know uh, any any field really there's always stereotypes there's always biases um whether you're a woman or whether you're not a woman but um it's something that i think when you put your mind to you can get over it pretty pretty easily you maybe need to work a little bit harder or you maybe need to find different ways of communicating but those are skills that i think will serve you well in the long run anyway so that's something I've personally found that I've had to do a little bit. I'm not sure that answers your question. Yep, uh, it does. Yeah, I think you answered both parts of the challenges that you have faced. Uh, yeah, um, agree you with whatever you said uh, in terms of both technically and uh, being a woman in the space. Yeah, that was all of my questions. But uh, before we let you go, I have my last section. Um, of rapid fire. Are you ready for your questions? 
Um, I think so. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they're, they're going to be simple. Okay. Uh, first question. What is your favorite book? Um, my favorite book? That's a hard question because there's so many categories. But okay, I'm going to tell you the book that I'm reading right now. Yeah. It's called... Um, um, it's called Think Like a Leader, Act Like a Leader. I don't have the name of the of the author right now, but um, I like this book quite a lot. So yeah, I'm going to go with that. Yeah, sounds like an interesting book. I'll check that out. Um, mm-hmm. Second question, um, what is uh, one of your favorite hobbies? Um, okay, well, I like to play the guitar. <laughs> so, oh, really? Yeah, I do. I've been playing the guitar since I was a kid. And now that COVID's back, I've been like, you know, getting some sheet music and trying to pick it back up. And yeah, I'd say that's probably my hobby these days um, now that we're locked indoors. Okay, that's interesting. See, I didn't know that about you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you do. (laughs) Okay. Um, So my last question, do you think work-life balance exists? Ooh, that's a hard one. This is not not a rapid fire question. This is like a long detailed (laughs) question. (laughs) Um, okay well okay I think it exists but you have to make it happen for yourself and I don't think um, that most people are very good at that really it's really all up to you no one's ever going to force you to work longer than you need to but a lot of us just do it because we love what we do so for myself that's never been a concept in my life (laughs) but I think for some people it does exist okay awesome yeah that was it for the rapid fire round you did great (laughs) thank you Yasneen for being on this show yeah thank you so much for having me it's great to chat with you that is it for today's episode I hope you really enjoyed it let me know by giving us a review on iTunes or Spotify or any other platform that you're listening on the show notes have links to my guests and all the things that we just spoke about Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast because I will be back next week with another amazing women in STEM.